Well, greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Cynthia Wilson, Worship Executive and Director of Liturgical Resources. I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. And I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, Director of Music Ministries. During this time of transition from virtual to in-person and hybrid worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that inspire worship teams and leaders to seize this moment and realize the opportunities before the church, finding ways to help those worshiping with us to maybe re-engage and shape the church we are becoming. It has become a cliche, we know, to speak of these unprecedented times. But churches everywhere have struggled with technology and with issues and changes that no one anticipated. And we're still learning about the impact of the pandemic and all that's been going on on the attendance and corporate worship of the church. But what does seem to be clear to us is that there is what feels like an overwhelming sense of grief and loss in our communities right now. For some, this is delayed grief. Those who are unable to properly mourn loved ones lost during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. For others, it is a loss of job or status because of a changing economy. And still others grieve a changing church. Mm -hmm. Those changes we already have endured and others yet to come. Now, the community of faith has many ways of helping people in times of grief and loss. But we especially wanted to spend some time to talk about how worship can be one of those tools. Mm -hmm. When the people gather for worship week by week in person and online, giving glory to God involves bringing real people with real human needs and offering hope and the possibility for transformation. So we're talking about how worship can be a part of pastoral care. Now, before we're done, we're going to talk very specifically about some tools that we can use, but I thought it'd be best to start with a big picture. What does it mean to say that worship is pastoral care? So, Cynthia and Diana, what what do you picture when you consider that worship and the worship time can be providing care, particularly for those who are grieving or those who have endured a loss of some sort? What does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it means that um, we gather together and just the fact that we come together as a community, um, even if it's only online, I mean, just knowing you're you're in um, a, the same uh, airspace, if not the same, you know, room space uh, provides a pastoral care right there that we're we're in this together. I'm not alone. Um, And then as the worship tells the story of God in so many different beautiful ways, that is pastoral care. It's it's edifying and it's nurturing and it's it's so many different layers to it. Mm -hmm. So I think as we plan worship, we have to think about the people that are going to be in that room, quote unquote, and um, how we can help them um, become aware of 
their not only their own needs, but that this corporate nature of coming together to praise God. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think also there is this need for us uh, as leaders to be gentle mm. uh, with the persons in the room and not assume that everybody's there for the third, fifth, hundredth time, but mm. somebody came in for the first time. And so we we should probably be gentle with our words, mm-hmm. uh, gentle with the choreography of the service. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody may not know that people walk for the offering. Somebody may not know that uh, you're sitting in the seat of uh the person who bought the pew or, you know, there's they're just, they're just all kinds of ways that we want to be careful to have a, a, a presence of hospitality, a sense of welcoming. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the kind of care and concern that I think a stranger might, um, might appreciate. Which, which means that in part it's intangibles. It's not, mm-hmm. we're going to talk in a minute about uh, content, but, mm-hmm. but it's also what you were saying, Diana, is just the fact that we're together. It's that sense mm-hmm. of corporateness, a ministry of presence, you might say. And it's mm-hmm. the welcoming added atmosphere that you're talking about, Cynthia. That's how we provide care. It's not necessarily saying we've got to have liturgy about this specific topic. Right. We've got to approach the whole worship experience as though mm-hmm. we're gathering people up, welcoming yes. people in. Yes, indeed. I always think that when when we gather on Sunday, you know, for, for many of us who are worship planners or or lifelong worshipers, we think it's the same thing over and over again. But the fact is that every service, every time we gather, it's unique. You're never going to have that same combination of people in those same places. Each one is a unique experience. And when we go into planning, thinking about that and how we can care for each other in that unique experience, I think it's it's done with a different intentionality. Indeed. Yeah, I would agree. Well, plus we're different every time we gather and what we're looking for, what we're leaning into, what we're hungry for perhaps is going to be different. So we'll hear some of the same things, but we might hear them differently because of that. So we're asking worship teams to just be aware of the moment of what's going on. And and that when we consider worship as pastoral care, then we're saying, how can we help people lean in and, and find the refreshment, find the sustenance, find the connection that they need uh, in that. And, that? and that could go for anything, really, any time we gather together, not just dealing specifically with grief and loss. But in this time, there are some some things we do need to pay attention to. And, and one way we can do that is by paying attention to special services. Um, there are some, some moments in the life of the church where we do draw attention mm-hmm. to those who might be grieving or those who, who might have some loss that they're dealing with. Well, mm-hmm. that is coming up fairly soon, All Saints Sunday. Um, so what, yeah. what is your experience with, with those things? Well, certainly, you know, All Saints is as one of the high holy feast days of the Christian church. And um, it's always been one of my favorites where we can reflect on the people who have been saints to us uh, throughout the ages. But then, of course, certainly in our own lives, people that might have led, led us to church or uh, grandparents or parents and, um, just, you know, saints in the choir that have, have gone um, to their heavenly home. It's just a wonderful time to 
uh, be thankful as well as to acknowledge the fact that we miss them and acknowledge the grief. And once again, we find comfort in that community gathered, physically gathered, to think about the community of saints that is no longer physically present with us. So All Saints is just such a great time. And I know in many churches, it's celebrated by the tolling of bells and the lighting of candles as names are read of of those that have gone uh, before in this past year. Um, I just think this year with uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, how significant this is for our churches and um, what, a, what a time of honoring and uh, truth telling, you know, telling the truth that th this has been a hard year and we've lost a lot of our beloved ones. And so All Saints is a, a great day to, to lift that up and be very intentional about planning our worship for that day. Mm -hmm. um, and other services to think about, of course, are the the coming up during the um, Christmas um, Advent Christmas season is the blue Christmas service. And that again, acknowledges that even though we're in this season of um, jolly and merriment and lots of eating and uh, Christmas carols and all that, that, that it can be a difficult time for people who for the first time don't have that family member present anymore or, um, they're not in the community that they once were. Maybe they had to move houses. Now they're in a retirement community. And, or, you know, there's just a whole lot of different circumstances. Um, but this blue Christmas service, which is also called the longest night, is generally planned on December 21st for that evening, because that is the longest night of the of the calendar year. Um, and so it, it's a great service to acknowledge our grief and our pain and our lament and leave it at the altar because that's where we have to ultimately give it over to God mm -hmm. for transformation. Mm -hmm. What about you guys? Do you all have some, some uh, special services that you can think of? Well, you know, the, the first thing that I, I I'm thinking of, even as you're describing the particular service, uh, Diana is I, I'm thinking about, the idea of intentionality and context. Mm. Um, I, I like to say that the reality of particularity is required uh, for the liturgy that that creates a space mm -hmm. for us to articulate the hurt, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering uh, that their lived their lived experience, and 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 I think everybody present. Uh, should see themselves when they're present with Christ in the corporate community. So whether it's the liturgical symbols, whether it's the words that are spoken, whether it's the movements in the service, the colors, um, the, the liturgical celebration ceases to live, uh, to liberate or, or to transform God's people when it's not multifaceted versus monolithic um when when hearts and souls are i i think in inextricably tied together when the community is able to express their love for god while simultaneously naming the pain mm -hmm. naming the injustices that they have walked through in the prior days mm. uh, prior to that worship experience worshipers 
have to be allowed to pray and to cry out loud in spontaneous, authentic, communal lament. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is likely to find these kinds of expressions in communities where oppression and injustice is pervasive. Uh, I I believe that uh, it's important uh, to note here that the prayer life and the uh, spirituality of oppressed people is holistic. And and I think that's healthy. It's a natural way of breathing and giving permission to the community to cry out to God through prayers uh, that they are able to say to God, this is how I feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is what happened. Or to ask questions like, why God? How long God? Mm. When God? (laughs) Do you remember God? Help us God, hear us. So in, in Christian worship in these communities, when the scriptures read, when the good news is proclaimed, whether it's in sermon or, or in song, these liturgical acts typically speak a word about the authentic, particular lives in that context. Yes. And it sparks a spirit of metanoia, a spirit of, of turning, a spirit of change and transformation. And almost in that same breath, what might be an authentic expression of grief becomes an act of faith. What do I mean by that? What do I mean? There is this ethos of expectation. When when God's people turn to God and they have no no need to ask, is there a God? But rather, how is God present in the midst of our suffering? And so um, when I find, uh, particularly in my own context, when when congregations come and pour out their complaints and their grief and lay it at God's feet. It's good grief. (laughs) Um, But when they trust God for the answer and when their lament and when their prayers are focused on the hope of Christ, there is an expectation that God's going to show up. Yes. And because of that, the petitions within these faith communities don't just lay dormant, but it's an exclusive state of lament. Mm. The people of God expect the Holy Spirit mm. to, re- to reveal the answer to those questions. They expect to hear from God and for God to deliver them from what um, W.E.B. Du Bois called um, double consciousness, you mm. know, the second way of being in the world for every person of color. Uh, the Negro has to be the Negro and an American, right? Mm. <laughs> these double thoughts, these double duties, these double social classes, these double lives that give rise to double words and double ideals. They they trust God to, to answer. And I, I believe, friends, that this is the hallmark of the spirituality of the oppressed. Mm. So without fail, uh, they they can celebrate in the worship experience the face of in the right in the face of suffering. There is this celebration going on. It's it's the antithesis of what you might expect, right? I mean, anybody can cry. They simply cry. But in oppressed communities, there's a rich theology of lament, right? And and it is a song of lament that ultimately leads us to unspeakable joy. Hmm. The lament and the joy. Are living together. How about that? Uh, <laughs> here's a, 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 an example. Some of you have heard it. Some of you might have might have even sung it. Nobody knows the trouble I see. 
Nobody knows our sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Now that's a commentary on the lament, right? Mm -hmm. But yet they're able to declare glory, hallelujah. That's the hallelujah anyhow, right? (laughs) So the lament lives right next door, side by side with the joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which which I think is a word for for the churches that that want to express joy mm-hmm. and and sometimes to do it they tamp down. Yeah, they say, mm-hmm. well, we can't be sad because we're yes. Christians. Therefore, yes. everything needs to be good. And so, what you're saying, Cynthia, is that is that the only way to be authentically joyful is to deal with, to face, yes. to admit. Yeah, um, the suffering and sorrow first. Yeah, what are you, what are you, that's right. What are you joyful about? It's how did you nice. how did you get to joy? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and the fact that we, we live a human experience, there's always going to be things that challenge us. Yes. You know, yeah. Health concerns and and yeah, losing people and injustice and those things are there. And we we have to talk about them. In church, even. Right. Well, how about that? Right, right. And and acknowledge that we don't have to wait till it's over. Yes. At the same time, we are still suffering, but we are still joyful. They they, they go hand in hand together. And and part of what we're celebrating, and whether we're talking about a special service, All Saints or Blue Christmas or a funeral memorial or, or the week by week Sunday morning service, there are those who have gathered out of deep suffering. Mm-hmm. Out of out of deep pain, they may never admit it. Right. They may right. never because they don't feel free to do that. Right. And right. the liturgy can help them do that. Absolutely. I so, you know you all you you hear me say all the time. I'm a a New Orleans girl, right? <laughs> <laughs> Having been bred and born in New Orleans, so funerals were an important part of our culture. Amen. And if you've been there, you know that even the graves are not underground. They're on top of the ground. Now, there's a reason for that, of course, <laughs> uh, and it has to do with the geography and the top of topography of the land, right? We, we sit down in the bowl. And so they can't afford to put the bodies in the ground. They put them on top of the ground. But at the end of uh, a funeral, you will see folks lining up and they have some symbols that you don't typically see in a worship service. One is an umbrella mm-hmm. and the other is a handkerchief. Uh, and you might even see horses and uh, you you might see a brass band, mm-hmm. but these this this is a, a parade. It's it's not a processional as we understand it in church. It's a parade, and you know parades are celebrations, right? So mm-hmm. there's a celebration going to the graveyard. How weird is that, right? <laughs> and and the and the band is playing a dirge, right? It's low. Oh, um, oh in the saints. Go marching in, but man, once the words, the final words have been said over that body and the dirt has been sprinkled for the last time over that casket, the band strikes up, they speed up, and the rhythm is conducive to a dance. Mm. And they dance away from that yard. This this uh, idea of lament and joy living right there together. It is just it's just an amazing thing to see how families come away from uh, the goodbye with a joy and a pep in their step. 
Uh, because there is the, the hope of Christ. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, and hopefully they have discovered that in the liturgy. Right. right. Something's been said to help them understand clearly this is now we can celebrate this life. Uh, well, you, you know, in our tradition, United Methodist tradition, we don't have funeral services in our book of worship. Right. Services of death and resurrection. Right. We have. So, right. So we have, yeah, death. But resurrection, we have right. lament and, and joy. We have we have grief and we have hope, and they're all wrapped up in there together. Yes. That's right. Funerals uh, too often, in certainly in the Anglo culture, have become individualized. You know, it's about that person, and it's a eulogy and not a proclamation of the word. And we need to move back into this understanding that it's an act of worship. Yes, we gather, right. and that the whole community is invited, not just the friends and family of, of the person who died, the whole community comes together to celebrate their faith Amen. and to offer to support the, the oh. family most affected by the death. You know, you know I, I would love to see communion shared yeah. at oh, yeah. uh, services of death and resurrection. It's there as an option, it but is. you seldom see that, you oh, know? No. And I, I remember so well attending a conference after my father passed away. He had passed away like two weeks prior. And mm-hmm. I uh, was at a, one of those proclamation conferences and helped in the communion liturgy. And it was one of the most transformational moments I've had. I literally mm-hmm. felt like my father was in the room with us. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it finally made sense. Oh, okay. All of... Everything is here together. Oh my goodness, how special. So yeah, to to have that communion um, as part of the service of death and resurrection really I think can can be transformative for a, a community. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, we we've spoken about the the sound, the oral the oral uh, experience of lament, and we and we talked about movement. That Cynthia talks about the, the parade and the dance and the movement and all that. But there's also a visual element. And in the Hispanic tradition, there there's this idea of altars and creating something to yeah. look at and see. Mm-hmm. Tell us about. Yeah. So, yes. um, Coming up, of course, as we mentioned earlier, is All Saints, which is November 1st Mm -hmm. um, and often celebrated in our churches the Sunday after November 1st. We consider that the All Saints Sunday. And normally we do have communion as part of that. Uh, service, which is lovely. Um, then there's All Souls Day or Dia de los Muertos, which is November 2nd. And in Hispanic cultures, that is the High Holy Day when we remember our loved ones. And you will see a lot of um, of things now uh, dealing with Dia de los Muertos because of a movie that came out a couple of years ago <laughs> right. called Coco. Right. And, uh, and, and that movie did a beautiful job of explaining that um, that celebration of, of inviting back those that have gone on to mm-hmm. heavenly home, inviting them back into our midst. And we do that by building altars. And an altar can be anything from a table with pictures on it um, or sometimes favorite foods. I generally put out beans and rice and peppers because that's what my parents loved. And I put their picture out there and other friends that maybe have gone on and some of their favorite things. So you just build this altar area as a remembrance and as an invitation back into your life. 
um, it's a, a, a moment of anamnesis, if you will, where we remember them so fully that they're just like they're in the room with us. Yeah. And um, so that's a wonderful way of, of remembering specifically that. But I, I know there's a pastor um, in uh, Denver, and uh, she's a well-known pastor, and uh, she has her congregation build altars whenever there's some huge injustice that um, that everyone is dealing with. Mm-hmm. And um, so they will build an altar with, you know, the articles in the paper or, again, pictures of people that maybe have been dealt in injustice or um, symbols. And mm-hmm. in that way that they can they can express their lament and their grief um, that is community uh, wide, that everyone in the community can see and take part in. And again, that's just part of the healing process, being able to do that. So altars are a really wonderful way of expressing our love and our our grief, um, and as a way of also bringing us comfort. Yeah, yeah. It's also about presence, as you were saying before, Diana, it's about, about, reclaiming that presence that's what i loved about coco it's it, it is that in that movie the dead were still a part of us they're still part of that great cloud of witnesses yes. as we say yes. they're not somewhere else they're really around us all of the time and and so one one of the things that i always wanted enjoyed doing needed to do on all saints day and certainly at, in funerals and memorial service is the naming of the people, the, the mm. ones we have lost, to hear those names yeah. and, and to encourage people to continue to use those names, to speak of those names. I, I've spoken with many people over the years in my, in my pastoral ministry, widows and widowers who people don't want to hurt them. So they never mention the person that they've lost, you know, mm-hmm. like, how are you doing? How, you know, what's going on? But they want to hear those names still, you know, they want to they want to say that the impact is still there. And so naming is such an important part of of how we deal with grief. And that extends to, as you were just saying, and it extends to other kinds of losses as well. Yes. Other kinds of injustice, you know, and, and things that have happened. That's why we keep hearing the names. And, and a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement has said mm-hmm. things like, say their names, you know, say their names, um, because these are real people. This is real experience. We've got to hold on to that, that yeah. reality and yeah. the lighting of candles and, the, and, and saying this is a, a representation uh, of this person that's experienced this life that touched other lives. And we are still we are who we are in part because of that person, too. Yeah, 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 we can't and ignore that. We have we have the uh, poet uh, Pearl Cleese to thank for that phrase. Say their names. She mm. did a, an mm. actual poem yeah. uh, that Oprah used at a gathering of women, and uh, there was the refrain: uh, "We call your name. We say mm. your name." And uh, the Black Lives Matter took that particular response. And, and, and fortunately, in, in that experience, many of the names of persons that they called uh, were still with us, um, but some of the names were in that cloud of witnesses that oh. you alluded to uh, earlier, Diana. Uh, but to just, you're so right, Derek, to actually say the name is cathartic for 
many who have who have suffered the loss of those individuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like we say the name of Jesus, you know, yes. Jesus who died and was raised, you know, yeah. and is still present in us. When I when I teach preachers, mm-hmm. and I I almost inevitably want to start with the foundations. What is preaching? What are we trying to do? What's going on? You know, what is the definition of preaching? And I always come around to this idea of incarnation. We're putting yeah. flesh on the idea of Christ. Too often our preaching and our yeah. worship is, is about Christ rather than of Christ. And Christ isn't present in that. Mm-hmm. Christ should become more real to us as mm-hmm. we preach and proclaim, whether it's in a funeral service and we talk about Christ gathering up those that we have lost, or whether it's week by week, Sunday after Sunday, we talk. Yeah. That's how we claim eternity, by, yeah. by yeah. living into the presence of Christ in that, and, and the promise of, uh, uh, of eternal life uh, as we proclaim that. It doesn't mean that every sermon is a funeral sermon, but it does mean that we claim that reality, um, and, and we acknowledge grief, Mm-hmm. And sometimes we preach lament. Um, some, uh, I remember Otis Moss the Third's sermon after George Floyd. Uh, that was a, a lament, a proclamation lament. Um, mm-hmm. And and there are many, particularly in the African American tradition, are very good at at letting proclamation and lament live side by side. Mm-hmm. Yes always leading to hope, always leading to the gospel, always leading to the promise. Um, and that's that's what we are offering people, this grace, not as a denial. Right. <laughs> and that's that's the important thing. I know we've already said that uh, when when we were talking about lament, um, but but we we can't say it too often, I think. Yeah. And too often we we think lament is something or suffering is something we've got to get through. Right. Yeah. And we, we ask people, how are you doing with your grief work? Have you completed your grief work? Mm-hmm. No, we don't complete our grief work. Mm-hmm. When we lose someone significant to us, we are forever missing that. We mm-hmm. are forever grieving that loss. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have to learn how to live with grief, but it's not that it's gone. It's still there. Right. Um, and, and we live with that and live in new ways. But at the same time, we embrace the promise and the wholeness and the hope. And the hope is often found best in community. That's kind of where we started. Diana talked Mm -hmm. about pastoral care is just simply the fact that it's not just me. Mm -hmm. Too often worship is what I've described in the past as a phone booth experience of just me and the preacher or me and Jesus or me and God or whatever. Um, when When it was never designed to be that, it was designed to be corporate, to be reminded that there are others others who care about me as I care about them, others who are with me, others who are suffering with me, um, suffering in different ways, perhaps, but, but uh, understanding that experience. And, and that's why we sing, you know, when we sing in church, uh, when we sing, when we're sad, when we sing, uh, when we're praising and um, to remind us that we're not alone. And, and that in that worship service where we can name our grief, and, in, you know, if, if it's an injustice or the loss of a, a loved one or whatever that is, uh, and, and I'm talking about like a Sunday morning worship service, right. not a special service, yeah. um, that it can be transformed, as Derek was saying, to comfort and, and hope. 
so that we can dance out of that service. Like mm-hmm. Cynthia was saying, um, you know, that that whole visual of this this parade that first starts off slow because we're in it, but then we realize, but we're not in it alone. And God's here in the parade with us. And that turns our morning into dancing. Yeah. Amen. We need to do that every Sunday. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. (laughs) And and like Jacob, we limp. (laughs) We we may continue to limp in our dancing, but we still dance. That's right. That's right. Now, now I would be remiss if I did not call attention to the fact that um, in in certain communities, in certain contexts, when that personal pronoun is actually extended in the corporate setting, that that personal pronoun is not functioning as a personal pronoun, it, but it actually is. It's not existential, but it's more of an understanding of a corporate eye in a corporate way. So a lot of the songs that you hear in the Africana community mm-hmm. are, are utilizing like the word, the song, Andre Crouch wrote uh, a song through it all. Mm-hmm. And it begins with the lament. I've had many tears and sorrows. Mm-hmm. I've had questions for tomorrow. Listen, if you're sitting in uh, an African-American church and you say that first line, I've had many tears and sorrows, immediately you'll hear the same saying, yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> they, they immediately enter into the, it's a testimony, right? This right. is, this, and, and that's what I was talking about when I talk about the way that the, the prayers connect with God on a, a, a contextual basis, but not necessarily individual basis. This is all of our story, right? Right. Uh, but then the chorus says, but through it all. How does it go, Cynthia? Would you sing it for us? <laughs> You have to twist her arm to do it. I, I can't remember how the tune goes. Yeah, could you hum a few? I'll, 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 I'll do that for you next week. But in, in the next meeting, I'll, I'll be sure to have something ready. Okay. But I love I love that. that um, now, what I have done, though, and this is for those listening and for those who want to use those kinds of pieces that have those um, personal pronouns, you can certainly switch the eyes to we. And I do that often. So when I get to the chorus, I say through it all, we've learned to trust in Jesus. Amen. We've yeah. learned to trust in God. It, and, and that just sort of embraces and it's mm. all encompassing and, and it doesn't exclude somebody who maybe doesn't have that particular testimony that particular day, mm-hmm. um, but, but it doesn't leave anyone out. So thank you for bringing that to our attention, Derek. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, we- we have opened too many cans of worms. Yes, we have right now. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> but, but we're going to come back. We're, we're hoping to bring in some other guests who will share with mm-hmm. us uh, a little bit more about this idea of how worship uh, can be pastoral care, how worship can help us deal with grief and loss. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but it comes back to something that Cynthia said um, when she began, it was hard holding Cynthia back. She was ready to to spend the whole time talking about this. Limit. I love this. I love I love this conversation. <laughs> I do. But when she, when she started, she said it's about intentionality. It's about mm-hmm. paying attention to what's yes. really going on and mm-hmm. and what the opportunities are mm-hmm. to touch people in in the depths of their human existence. Uh, and the more we're aware of that, the more we design worship, prepare worship with that understanding that not everybody's 
on the top of the world. Not everybody's ready yeah. to clap their hands, you yeah. know, because their hearts are breaking and their yeah. eyes are full of tears and it's hard to do that. Yes. Yeah. And yet they are there and there is room for them there. Mm-hmm. I also loved your description about being gentle, being gentle with our words, being gentle with our expression. And, yeah. and that means just being open, being yeah. in, inviting, being encouraging. Right. So we have, we'll, there'll be more. <laughs> Stay tuned um, uh-huh. uh, for, for more on this, how worship can help our congregations deal with grief and loss. Um, but, but for now, I think we need to, to wrap this one up or we'll just go on all night. Um, and and we really have uh, appreciated you listening in on this conversation. And I, I'm I'm probably um, I'm I'm probably sure of the fact that you have some things that you could contribute to this conversation. And I hope you continue it in your particular community. There may be somebody who just needs to sit and talk about. Uh, the the way that they are grieving and the way that they are experiencing loss. Uh, You probably have a small group uh, or a smaller community uh, that really is is still reeling from the losses uh, that we have all experienced through COVID-19. And I encourage you to, again, there's that word, be intentional Mm -hmm. about reaching out to those persons. In the meantime, Though, thank you for, uh, as always, for joining us today. Uh, We hope that this has been helpful. Uh, Remember that you can find additional information right at our website, umcdiscipleship.org. Let me repeat that, umcdiscipleship.org. You go there, I think you'll find exactly what you're looking for and more. Uh, so, so do go and, and, and see what's there. We want you to tell us what you think, not only about this conversation, but the things that uh, you will find at that website. Until we meet again, however, we're going to be praying for you and for your congregation and for the ways in which God is moving in your midst. Uh, may God continue to bless your worship ministry as you make disciples for the transformation of the world. God bless. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.